Good afternoon, everybody. I know about this time you are looking forward to your lunch. I'm sorry you're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. Um, it's good to be back live. Thank you for being here. I want to take this opportunity to thank Capital Link, Marine Money, Tradewinds, Lloyd's List, the bankers, analysts, and the capital providers, and all of those who have helped our community to be together and communicate through the dark days of COVID. Thank you. I hope all of you also can join me in thanking and appreciating all the marine personnel, both onshore and at sea, from every nation and company, whom without their endeavours, we would not have had the basics for survival, not alone the luxuries of life. We thank you. It's always a privilege to moderate the analyst panel. Last time I did this was in the summer. It was a sad occasion, apparently. Trade winds, more precisely Joe Brady, accused me of being boring and easy on the analysts. Say <laughs> la vie. I've been criticized before. Water off a duck's back. I've moved on. I'm not going to take it personally. Actually, that's not really true. I am still greatly upset and irked. I have been accused of many things, some fairly, some not. But boring, easy on analysts, whether true or not, those words hurt. They really hurt. Joe, they still hurt. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, with a chance for my own personal redemption, for your education, and most of all your entertainment, I give to you the analysts. So it's very simple, guys. How are we going to make money, long or short? That's what we want to know. The rules are pretty simple. No equivocating, no sitting on the fence. You just have to tell us how we're going to make money. We'll give you a long period, six months. Since Capital Link six months ago, the very best trade was to have been long tankers both in crude and clean, and short containers in bulk. Put a different way, you should have been long energy security and short the world economy. For all tankers companies, clean or crude, analysts almost unanimously have made great bullish calls, making clients tremendous returns. Naturally and thankfully, just like the last bull cycle, and the one before that, there is still one outlier contrarian, banging his head on his perpetual sell rating with each of his earnings increases and price target raises. In drying containers, though, universally bullish views as a result of increased dividend distributions have been overwhelmed by falling rates and economic concerns. None of you, not a single one of you, called the quadfector correct. That would have been long, crude, and clean, and short containers and dry. So you have done a great job in total, but none of you have been perfect. We expect perfect, don't we? And frankly, 
for the price you people have paid to be at this conference, what with inflation, etc., you deserve perfect. Just before we start, just one thing. I sent you all before the weekend a nice little sheet with some easy prepared questions and some boring topics that you could all look into and feel safe and comfortable. Forget them. I was just joking. All the questions are going to be different. So let's start. Omar? <laughs> Shouldn't have taken that drink. Wow. All right. How do we make money? Okay. Well, thanks, Robert. Um, we'll see how I do on this. I think, I think there's plenty of ways to make money. I think in, in conventional shipping, it's, um, there, there's still plenty of upside. We still feel that we're early days in a, in a, in a long-term recovery and strengthening. Obviously, tankers has been fun and exciting to, to talk about. But remember, at the beginning of the year, these stocks were really left for dead. I think most people coming into 22 felt tankers were going to have a good year, but it just took forever. It took so long, and it was about survival. And just as everybody threw in the towel, the market popped, and it popped beyond expectations. Um, and now it feels that the companies are generating free cash flow, but I don't think it's necessarily priced in that there's an exceptional period of earnings for an extended period. And so I think there's still plenty of room to go in the, in the tanker space. So it be long tankers. Long tankers. Greg, any subject, whatever. Oh, yeah. And, hi. Good afternoon or morning, everybody. And Nicholas, thank you for uh, having this panel. It's always fun. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess what I would say is I, I didn't get the questions beforehand, but, um, you know, six months is, is an eternity in shipping. So, you know, I look here today and I look at a, a sector like dry bulk and what I would say is I think now is a great time to be long dry bulk. Um, you know, I think one of the things that really dogged dry bulk all year long was this expectation and for people in the room that are following it, every month was going to be the month that Cape rates were going to go to $30,000. So just, just get the next month and rates were going to pop and everything was going to be good. And really, I think that was working against the stocks. There's kind of been a huge reset here. Um, in the last couple months, pretty much since August. And so now where the curve is, you know, hey, when I look at Cape rates towards the end of this year at $18,000, I, I like the opportunity. I think the I think there's a risk skewed upside to that. So I, I think now is a great time to be long dry bulk. Now, you said six months. We all know that Q1 is going to be challenging and recession fears are around. So, you know, that that is something where, you know, I want to be long them today. If you see me in six months, I don't necessarily know if I'm going to want to be long um, dry bulk then. Um, but, and, it, and it's worked, and sometimes trend is your friend. Um, you know, as we look at supply demand, I think a lot of us are going to talk about how great the supply side picture looks in dry bulk, and it does. In crude tankers, and it does. In product tankers, and it does. You know, container ships? N not really. Um, you know, as you look out over container shipping over the next two years, you're looking at pick a number, but whether it's eight or ten, it's it's a high amount of fleet growth. That points to challenges ahead for that market in what looks to be a slowing economy. All right. So, is there any defense for the containers? I'll mention something, Greg. I think you made a good point about containers, but I would say as we go into this potential oversupply downturn, which I think most people are generally starting to really believe is happening. 
this container industry is in much stronger shape than it probably ever has been going into a downturn. Usually we go into a downturn and companies are levered up. Um, now you look at Maersk and, and Hapag Lloyd, Zim, these companies are all in net cash positions. Uh, the ship owners themselves have backlogs that, are, um, that stretch out uh, over many years. And so it, it feels coming out of the, the other side of this, these companies are going to be in much better shape than uh, we've seen in the past. Robert, if I just... Yeah, when, oh, go ahead. So, when does that ever work? When is the transformation of the balance sheet because of high rates into a collapsing market ever worked? Like, I mean, look at, look at, look at tankers in 2020 with the floating storage, right? Yeah, we had a lot of cash flow, much better balance sheets. It was transformational. Stocks collapsed. I mean, it, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I know, like, they're cheap. There's lots of cash flow. But, like, you know, I mean, you, you're, you're, you start off the panel in a colorful way. Uh, yep. You don't want to piss against the wind. Okay. Sounds like he agrees with me. All right. He does, does, he does. Liam? Well, not all order books are the same here on the the TDU side. Different classes of vessels in the container space are lower. And, you know, you can almost bifurcate it at 10,000 TDU above and below. And above, obviously, the order book is fairly inflated. Below that, it's more reasonable. The funny thing is the spot rates continue, the FBX continues to drop, and it's down over 50% year over year, or uh, year to date. But if you look at the longer-term contracts or the forward fixings, they're up. Now, the liner companies must recognize some asset in certain classes to value those assets where they're willing to re- recharter at higher rates. Now, uh, I don't oh, think it's oh, all oh, bad. Oh, with are we all confident that those contracts will be honored? That's a good question. I mean, the container market, a bit like the dry market, it's not like the tanker market. Those markets have had a history of kind of contracts being renegotiated. Absolutely. And there's a risk of that will be renegotiated. But the balance sheets for the liner companies, as Omar mentioned, are in great shape. So the, the financial necessity of having to do that is a lot less. Okay. Jürgen? Um, yeah, I... Um the order book in container shipping is uh, is, is huge, I think. Uh, and I, I think most of the people sitting here today could agree that uh, you're probably facing some, some issues on, on the sector in terms of rates and where what, what way the earnings are actually going. Um, but uh, to, to Omar's point on the balance sheet, um, what's, what's a bit scary, I'd say, this time around is that the, the balance sheet is very solid among these companies. So what does that translate into when you're looking uh, towards a fleet growth? Potentially, you can see an effective fleet growth over a two-year period of 30%. Um, and in a good year, uh, not accounting for the recession, you could probably see volumes grow by five. Uh, if you add all that together, I think the rates are going to be headed downward for a long time. Uh, and the, the scary thing is when you have companies with strong balance sheets, uh, as we saw following the, the spike in 2020 uh, for tankers, is that scrapping doesn't happen. Uh, so in order to get that market back into some sort of an equilibrium, that could take uh, a long period of time. Uh, and I agree the valuations in some of these container companies start to look attractive when you account for the cash flows in the companies in the near term. Um, but the fear is that there's really not too much to look forward to. Um, and this could be a prolonged downturn lasting for a sustained, you know, a, a very long time. And just remember the last time we had a downturn in container shipping, we started to scrap vessels that were seven years of age. Uh, and in order to get there, we, we need to eat through these balance sheets. And that could be, uh, could be an issue. 
I think we keep comparing what's going on in containers. And Turner, you started this uh, <laughs> with you know mentioning floating storage. That was three months of, of strong earnings. That wasn't transformational. It helped companies, and it bought them a lifeline until the market truly got to where we are today. But three months for tankers versus 24 months for containers, it's been a, that's been transformational. These companies are completely different sure. than they were two years ago. It's a fair point, but I think uh, the headwinds just keep getting worse, right? I mean, I think, you know, you look at the struggling retailers, you look at the profit warnings from FedEx, Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, looking at, staring at the abyss. I mean, um, you know, interest rates haven't even really begun to hit yet. Uh, the, the, the property sector is, you know, new home sales are down, right? When you buy things that go into containers, when you buy a new house and new home sales are plummeting, like, it... It, it gets worse, right? And then you have inflation from energy, um, especially in Europe, right? That's a big part of the trade. Uh, it just, it gets worse. So I mean, like in six months, if that's our time frame, does it get worse or it gets better? To Jurgen's point, there's not a lot to look forward to. Is there less to look forward to or more to look forward to in six months? I think it's less. Great. All right, so Chris, Tate, you guys yet to go, if you can... Yeah, we sure. probably exhausted containers. We'd like to move. Yeah, on. I'll, I'll move on from containers. I defended them enough in our last time we <laughs> talked. Uh, but <laughs> I would point out what is the alternative in the market wide to container ships with fixed cash flows if you trust the counterparty risk. But uh, for the shipping sector, moving to another group, I, mean, I, I personally don't think the energy crisis is going away anytime soon in Europe. So, I mean, has the LNG play? Played itself out, probably not completely, but one one part of the shipping sector that I do not think gets enough attention is liquefied petroleum gas, LPG. Uh, I think propane is absolutely sustainable fuel for heating in the sustainable future, uh, and we already have heard factories switching from natural gas to propane in Europe. I think we'll continue to get to a series of additional news events in terms of factories switching from natural gas to propane homes and small businesses continuing to use propane. So the demand side, I think, will continue to improve for LPG carriers. So on the energy crisis front, I mean, tankers' products have, have certainly been amazing in terms of their stock performances, but today I'll recommend the LPG. So you want, you want to double down on LPG and get real specific, like a favorite pick? I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a sector with four, four public names, five public names, rather, right now, but on the, my thematically with propane as a heating fuel being cheaper than natural gas as a heating fuel. I'll go with the small to medium carrier stealth gas, G-A-S-S. Okay, great. Chris. Yeah, Robert, thank you. Uh, we as analysts, we can't be all things to all investors at all times, so I, I kind of reject your six-month time horizon here because uh, Deutsche Bank is focused on long-term Chris, sustainable cash flow yields. Chris, Chris, that's not how we play the game. Well, <laughs> this is how I'm going to play the game, Robert. But uh, Chris, so Chris, DB Chris, is focused Chris, on... What was that? One, one, sort of get one chance. Here we go. New boy. We okay. like companies with operational scale, Good. strong balance sheets, low cash break-evens, and a history of being below where the long-term rates are at. So right now we like dry bulk. I think the recent pullback is related to exogenous factors, such as the zero COVID policies in China. We think that the, that begins to turn around, especially in October, uh, once the committee meets and uh, tries to stimulate the economy there. Call me a, a cynic, but I think the uh, Chinese government will do what's necessary to stimulate their economy, to uh, continue to grow to be a world economic power, as well as to stabilize. So we like the space where it's at. Can there be some headwinds going into the first quarter seasonality? Yes, but we do think 2023 is shaping up to be better. We think cape size rates turn around. 
So do we leg in now before October or wait till October? How, yeah, well, what's your degree of certainty on this? Yeah, I, I would get in before the October meeting. Good. Excellent, Chris. Very good. <laughs> um, okay. Let's um, move to Turner. Just give me something that you see in the world that interests you, doesn't interest whatever. Yeah, I think the LNG is, uh, is, is, is obviously very hot. Energy crisis is at the top of all the headlines in Europe. And, I, um, you know, we talked about container, which is um, we've seen the, the rates come down, LNG, the rates are going up. I think, though, in six months, um, what's that going to look like? I think that uh, there's a risk that's much bigger now than what it was two weeks ago, that Russia gets their eat, their lunch eaten by the Ukrainians, that we get some kind of negotiated peace, and that all those LNG ships that were there to export you know, new capacity of LNG out of the U.S., those projects lose financing because the Russians come back into the market, and, uh, and then suddenly that order book just looks way too big. It's a risk. Um, I think my conceptual framework, you started with the conceptual framework, would be uh, long, small order books, in short, big order books. So dry bulk, I agree with Chris, get in before October. Uh, it's really about Chinese um, you know, credit expansion or not, and my guess is that he's going to want to expand credit. Uh, and that's going to drive infrastructure, it's going to drive um, uh, new homes as well eventually. Obviously, it's a mess that they'll clean up. but. So dry bulk, um, and you have well below NAV prices, some low cash break evens there, uh, and, and, and tankers, you know, zero order book, right? So, okay. but LNG containers, I think there's there's a lot more risk provided by the supply side. Liam, yes. So you spend a lot of time talking to investors. In your so describe your. You know, one of the markets that you're, you're, for example, bullish on, and what's your greatest pushback from investors? Well, let's, in general, if you look at cyclical companies uh, and you look at shipping, we'll, we'll use dry bulk since it's been beaten to death here. Uh, typically, when you're trading at very low EV to EBITDA, generating very high yields, you're at a cyclical peak. And you don't buy a cyclical company at the peak. You wait for the, the EVs, the EBITDA to go up, indicating you're at an earnings trough, and that's when you step in. So you have, you say, look, look, these stocks are cheap, but they're wildly cyclical. The EVs, the EBITDA are exceedingly low. I don't want to step in. So you have to walk through and, and understand the cyclical change that a lot of, again, we can use dry bulk, but we can use tankers and, and to a certain extent uh, containers as well, that underneath this, there's value creation even at low PEs. Slugging down debt does shift enterprise value from the debt to the equity holder, and you have to point that out. Now, we can use the example of the container uh, vessel, uh, the, uh, excuse me, the, um, the dry bulkers, where the yields are mid-teens. Somebody is just taking a second quarter uh, dividend, extrapolating it for 12 months, and that's just not necessarily true. So getting back to your 12-month period, I think if you look at two quarters of the, of, the, uh, of the dry bulkers, where dividends will come down based on any formula that the company chooses to use, but you'll get a normalized level of dividend payout where an investor can sit there and say, oh, this is one that I could probably anticipate through the cycle. So the real pushback is, if you look at a, at a generalist investor looking at cyclicality, looking at where these, these stocks are trading, 
you have to point out that there's more to go in underlying value creation and all the things I just mentioned, share, well, I mentioned share, share purchases, but pulling capital out of the business rather than, uh, rather than adding to it. And I suspect the fact that capital is being pulled out of the business is good for investors, but very bad for the financing world of the, uh, of the industry. But just following up your comments on dividends in terms of making money in the market, too, you have drywall companies trading with 18 to 20 percent annualized dividends, to your point. I mean, we already have seen sequential declines in dividends, but as a trader, for the trader mentality out there, you just taking a, qu a quarter dividend, buying it before the ex-dividend date, you're getting a 5 percent return, even if you're flat. So even if you can exit it where you bought it. So it's to me, it's a strong signal from the management companies and the conviction in the cycle in the dry bulk sector. And so, yes, the dividends will fluctuate. I think many of the dry bulk companies have the fluctuating dividend policies based on the cash flow generated per quarter, but, but it creates meaningful opportunities to make money buying and selling dry bulk companies, I think. So far, though, in shipping, We've seen a lot of these kind of dividend things, right? We've seen MLPs, everyone should be an MLP, and that just got absolutely smashed. We've seen guests go to full payout dividends, and that just doesn't help you if the cash flow is not there. You, you go partial payout, and the history is, is the rates bend over, and the dividends start to get cut. So the 18% of the 25% you're getting today ends up being 10% by January, that doesn't help you. Yeah, it's only a question of how far you think the dividend will decline in a year, but still, but still on the balance, if you enter today, then can exit with a total return basis that you can make some money. Yeah, and, and I, I'd like to chime in. You know, I think one of the things that, that, that investors we talk to that have been around are seeing, which is different. I mean, you know, we do a couple of these things a year. Um, like Omar called out, like the, the couple months of strong tanker rates. You know, a lot of these companies a couple years ago went bankrupt. Whether it was tankers, whether it was bulkers, pick your poison. But now, coming out of that, a lot of these companies have very strong balance sheets. Like you hear somebody talking about being net debt negative. Um, that changes the dynamic a lot for these stocks where they can become much more tradable. And what I mean by that is, if I want to take a view on tankers or dry bulkers, I can do a very short-term view. Like Double Hull Tankers the other week announced, hey, we're going to do a 100% payout of net income. So that basically means if I believe that there's going to be a winner trade here, now it needs to last longer. I need to think it's going to last longer than the market. But if it does, I'm going to get a dividend, and then I can move on. And I think that's one of the things which has been interesting. And you see it in tanker stocks, right? Like, hey, I get the tanker stocks. I get the tanker rates ripped in the last two weeks, and they're $70,000, $70,000. A month ago, they weren't. And these stocks were, for people that in this room that care about NAV, were well above NAV where, you know, people like me are scratching their head. And it's like, huh, this is, this is interesting. And was it because the people knew the SPR was coming? Was it because we were heading the winter? I don't know. But what I know is the stocks continue to do well because you can look at this and say companies A, B, and C don't have any debt. And so that means the minute we're generating cash flow, we can actually become passable vehicles where, you know, yeah, I remember the MLP debacle and those companies were super duper levered. So for companies that have good balance sheets, that talk about being net debt, that it can manage through, that are paying out good dividends, 
it's actually an interesting time to be a shipping investor. Um, but we just need to remember that you always have to be tactical. Just like to follow up on Greg's point too. Uh, not only do we see companies with stronger balance sheets now and less leverage, we're also seeing companies approach it from a for- formulaic approach rather than a variable dividend. So it gives investors a lot more clarity about what to expect with the dividend rather than trying to take a guess about management and what they'll do. Um, I, I, it, I do have to actually sort of, it's extraordinary what you just said. I think it's the first time I've ever heard in a conference, a, a, a conference call. Do I need to go hide under the table? No, you don't. <laughs> I'm just sort of, I, it, there's a statement saying we will have shipping companies that are net debt negative. I mean, that's kind of never happened. You, you, you wipe away billions of dollars through bankruptcy, and that's what happens. And, and then you get a good market. That's what happens. But, 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 then, but then that brings up an interesting point, right? Maybe the way to make money is, is we don't have to split all the sub-segments. Maybe we need to you know, step back and see that the whole business, the whole space, right, has actually got pretty good fundamentals. Even the guys that are worse off, right? We're talking about containers. It's like, yeah, sure, they've got lots of headwinds. Um, but, like... You know, they also have, they're very cheap stocks. They're also, you know, they have huge uh, uh, cash flow streams ahead of them. I mean, if that's as bad as it gets, maybe you should just own everything in shipping and short the index. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean you, have, you have environmental I mean, regulations. Whatever you guys are you saying, it's not that bad being you know, you know, it's, right? it's, it's like, you know, the shipyard capacity is not there. Asset values are going up, even though steel prices have come down. Like maybe, you know, the trade really, the great trade, the easiest trade if you're an investor is just sit back and just buy a basket and own the whole thing, you know, and then just short the index. That's been a fantastic trade. Jürgen? I have to bring Jürgen. Yeah, 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 thanks. We have to be um, sober Norwegian in, right? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> come, on, come on, put a dampener so on this. I'll, uh, if I can speak, for, I thought it was amazing that Tate mentioned LPG. I think that's, um, that's really the sector that I look at as well, uh, as probably the, the one with the largest upside. And we're hosting a panel later, yeah, so yeah. I hope everyone I look shows forward to the panel, too. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, th- I think what makes this time different maybe than before when it comes to the dividend potential of these companies is that we're in a situation where the order books are incredibly thin, uh, be it tankers or be it dry bulk. And I agree both those sectors look interesting. Uh, but you started opening up now that the energy security has been a theme that's worked um, since the summer. Um, and I think uh, that's something that could continue. Uh, but it's clear that you have... a. a a wide difference in how people view the different energy sectors if you look at shipping. So you have tankers probably set to to be very well. I think that's the consensus view. There's going to be lots of cash and lots of earnings over time. Um, On LNG, however, you have a huge order book, uh, as was mentioned, Um, and you're actually in a dynamic that ruins a bit of the the shipping uh, utilization and supply and demand picture. Uh, But uh, the sector that has been forgotten to a degree is one that's tightly interconnected with these others. Uh, so both tankers and LNG has worked uh, very well. But if you look at the valuation in the LPG space, you're buying stocks at 30% discount to the steel. So that's net of any debt. Uh, and you're in a situation where you can essentially pick up energy shipping at a huge discount that's been overlooked. Um, and I think that's going to be the, um, one of the major winners in the, in the coming months, in, in my view. Well, thank you. And for your <laughs> but uh, also other sectors have already uh, started Meaningful dividends. We talked about repurchases or insider buying like we saw from you about three months ago when we last talked. But we haven't seen that in LPG yet. So you can anticipate, I can think 
investors, you can anticipate some announcement to that effect, and that will help the stocks perform as well. So are the capital markets going to stay disciplined? Are you going to stay disciplined? Are you? Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's never the ship <laughs> I mean, owner's fault. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's I guess ever, it's the order book. It, Turner, it's never the ship owner's fault. <laughs> For 30 years, I've been telling you all that the ship owners are children. We will stay children. We like our toys. If you keep giving us sweets from the capital markets, we will eat them, we will get sick, and you'll clear up the mess. So are you going to give us more sweets, too many in the future, make the capital free, lots of public offerings, you know, lots of projects, funding 10-year, 10-ship borders, stuff like this? I mean, I think the capital markets are not complicated. The investors just want their money back, right? And you know, if it's a dividend, if it's share buybacks, it's, it's shareholder returns in some form or another. I think that's what, what, what people want. And um, if ship owners, you know, behave themselves and they listen to the market, then I think it's, it's, it's going to be fine. I think capital is always available for a, a compelling transaction. Uh, obviously, it's much easier now because companies are in much better health and the companies are much more liquid. And so com- investors can feel comfortable investing and being able to trade out if they need to. But a compelling transaction, I think that ca- the capital will be there. And if the markets do start for shipping, start to go down meaningfully, I mean, you still have unlevered companies that, that should have lending available to go out and buy ships, buy earnings if the day rates are still above big break-even levels and then will raise our estimates. So there should be some support to when values go down lower, the stock prices go lower, I think, in terms okay. of the available capital. Well, I think we should... I think we should just throw you all to the lions now, right? So let's have some questions from the audience, please. Any subject you want? Desperate for lunch, right? <laughs> Nicholas, question. I mean, I, I guess yeah. I, I can yeah. jump in a little bit. I mean, it's just what I said, right? Like the whole space actually has quite positive fundamentals when you look at, you know, restrictions on the supply side from environmental regulations, restricted shipyard capacity, which will all else equal slow, slow fleet growth, um, you know, rerouting of trade patterns, uh, you know, the future fuel debate, which is holding back people from from ordering until there's some clarity on that. So personally, I, I, I don't see a problem with it. Um, I think it's just about giving people their money back. You know, if, if they, you know, pay dividends, buy back shares is appropriate. I, I, I don't see, like, philosophically why it's a big problem. Um, but, uh, and I think that's changing. I mean, clearly that wasn't the case for the last 10 years. Yeah, and, and, and I would say, you know, I think it can go either way. Now, it's interesting that no one's tried to build a big shipping conglomerate in the U.S. Um, you know, the problem in shipping is there's a lot of people out there and everyone has an opinion. And so for years, well, you can't be diversified because if you're diversified and you own dry bulk containers, you trade at a discount to the other companies. Was that the reason why? Or was it because the company that was doing it was destroying capital and the, the vessels, and it wasn't making any money? So if you look further afield outside the U.S., there are ship companies that are shipping conglomerates 
and they do just fine. And in a world where there is continually more passive investment coming in, being in indices and being liquid and larger matters. So if you're telling me if I have a chance to buy a $500 million or a billion dollar tanker company or a $5 billion shipping conglomerate, you know, I don't know if it's going to trade at a premium. I know more investors are going to care about that $5 billion company than that billion dollar company. But it's easier said than done. Nicholas, the way I look at it, if a lot of diversified fleets have more financial looking at longer-term contracts to be able to manage it, where more concentrated one-class vessel operators are looking more in the spot rate. So you could be looking at more predictable streams through longer-term charters on multi, multi-sector fleets versus concentrated, much better leverage uh, operating in the spot market. Uh, I mean, to pick up on his point, I think if you look across the space, across segments, I mean, there's two things that I think will, will decide valuation. Um, which I guess is what owners care about, and uh, that is good corporate governance, and it's uh, liquidity in the stock. So I, I agree with Greg. You know, the the larger, the better. I think also the diversification. I'm a big proponent of. I think because you get to start attracting a much different audience, as we were just talking about. You know, the the, the long only is the mutual funds. That that size is eight to ten times the hedge fund universe. And that's what we attract currently into shipping because it's easier. I want to have pure exposure to supermaxes or I want VLCCs. Um, so we attract a certain investor base that gets excited, but things turn, they're gone. Um, and so the investments currently uh, are based, I'd say primarily hedge funds want exposure to a certain sector. But mutual funds start to, de- to they look at it differently. Instead of looking at the asset and wanting to invest based off of the asset, they start to invest based off of management and management quality and strategy and how they approach the business. And I think that's where you can start to really get – you start to really shift away from NAV being sort of the basis for valuation, and it becomes much more about you know, the long term. And, and you look at maybe a book value as something of real uh, um, focus. So would you, you guys, any of you sort of – be really okay or applaud some of these container companies that have lots of cash instead of paying everything out in dividends, going buying dry bulk, for example, because it's about to recover? So that's interesting. That's the test. So that's the, the real test of so the question. That, right? That's a good one, Robert, because Customare did that last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the interesting thing about that, and that was, I think, a good exercise to see the reaction. And I think on paper, it made a lot of sense. For, for Customare. Uh, they bought dry bulk ships last summer very cheaply, and they made a lot of money, at least cash flow-wise and valuation uplift. But you took a container company that had, in its history, always able to secure seven-year and 10-year contracts, and that gets a rich valuation. That's an eight to 10 times multiple business. And they took that type of capital and invested in dry bulk, which is four to five times. And the stock hasn't moved since. Okay. So, Could I have another question? Is there any more? Robert hasn't yeah. mentioned uh, what stocks they are talking about. So, Nick, you mentioned your company since it is a little. Yeah, well, that, that, that may be a good idea, it may not be. It depends, right? So, um, okay, that's a good point. So, let's, um, let's go for uh, Starbucks. <laughs> 
Starbuck. You've, you've tried hard on Starbuck this year, haven't you? You really have. <laughs> are you, what, are you already down, what, 50% of that call? But it's, it's up over 100% over a five-year period, it, it, including well, so the it's, recent it's like a, you know, It's like that's like stop. You can't, you can't say, okay, one time it's going to be great. That's not what the game is, right? But anyway, um, two, two stock picks, three stock picks. From well, the top I, I all just the way mentioned down. earlier, uh, I mentioned Stealth Gas, GASS yep. on the LPG. I'll run it down. Arma, <laughs> next. So two picks? Sure, two picks. Uh, Frontline and Starbolt. Okay. Jürgen? Uh, BW LPG and uh, uh, Valenius Willemsen, the car carrier. That's my, uh, yeah. Oh, come on, yeah. Half the audience probably hasn't heard of that. I know, I know, um, I know right, so look, look it so, up. So, 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 chat to us about it. 30 seconds, tell us about... Yeah, I, I say it, it's an industry that replicates a lot of what's been going on in the container industry, only you didn't have time to build up a detrimental order book. So uh, things are looking better in the long run, um, and the car production is coming back up, so that's something to, to have on your radar. Which one is it? Uh, Valenius Willemsen is the company. I agree with uh, Omar Starbuck and Frontline. Front Turner? Pick a tanker company, dirty or clean, doesn't matter. And uh, I'm going to say, uh, you're going you're gonna to bust my, you're going you're gonna to get on me for this, but I'm going to say Anetti, actually. Okay. But 50, okay, let me, can you hear me out? That's, 50%, in, a speci- that's in a special place. It's a special situation. I don't but, need to advertise, we're trying to buy it quietly ourselves on the cheap. Exactly, that's why you won't let me talk about it, but it's 50% of NAV. The balance sheet is very strong. Uh, we've got an excellent fleet. That market is picking up. It's not a sector where the, the rates are going down. They're going up. You just bought back 6% of the shares at half of NAV. You just authorized another $50 million buyback to buy back 15% of the shares. You've got two assets which are going to get um, contracts in the next 6, 12 months. And uh, that's why you're buying them back. And I don't blame you. And I will do the same. Liam. Well, we have a tale of two bulkers here. We like Jenko and Eagle. I think in the next six months, you're going to see dividends normalize coming off their peak. Investors will get a good sense as to what a good dividend yield will be. Tighter order book creates a lot less volatility in spot rates. They've been slugging down a lot of debt. We have net debt neutral in Genco, hopefully in 2023. So I think, and the stocks have backed off considerably when you look at P grades. So I think a bulker space is an interesting place to be, and uh, those two are an interesting place within the sector. And then um, just since we're mentioning um, a car carrier and, and some other stuff, um, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people are, are familiar with this name in the room, Golar, the ticker's GLNG. I mean, yeah, they own a little bit of, they own a joint venture, and so they own some exposure with uh, LNG. But really it's about, and people have been talking about energy security and and LNG and issues with natural gas in in Europe. Um, You know, they're one project away from meaningfully changing the components of their EBITDA and driving EBITDA growth. So that would be a name that that I would absolutely look at. On, On the tanker side, um, you know, just because we talk about diversification of tankers, uh, obviously Sting is, is, is a top pick in the portfolio, um, but we would also mention INSW, which has a blend of product tankers and crude, um, you know, and, and I don't know if that's fully understood by the market, so that would be another name we, we would do some work on. Okay. What are you worried about? 
Well, what's, me? Give me, give me, what, 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 yeah, what, what, what would you worry about for shipping? What's lots, the, lots, of, okay. I mean, <laughs> global economy, right? It, it, it's great for us to say that, you know, hey, we like drywall. I mean, gl- the global economy is an issue. I mean, more on a micro level, you know, hey, the crude market's been great over the last month, six weeks. You know, we need to remember the SPR releases is helping that. Um, it, it, you know, we need, and there was an SPR announcement, further SPRs coming out. You know, what's that going to look like over, going forward? You know, right now the SPR releases are helping, and you saw it with Aframaxes and Suez Maxes leading the market. There were a lot of dislocations um, because of what happened in Eastern Europe, and, you know, I, th- this seems like it's going to drag on for a while. But, but I, I apologize, but I forget somebody mentioning that, you know, that, that there could be changes in the dynamic of Eastern Europe. And if that were to resolve quickly, that that's probably not, you know, that would be good for the world, but maybe not the best for shipping stocks. A bloated order book. <laughs> bloated order book. Absolutely. If the trend continues or changes from where there's been disciplined in terms of uh, the tankers and the bulkers, concentrating fleet growth on secondhand assets rather than new builds, if that trend changes, that would be a, a very disturbing trend. Would be, yeah. but you're not worried about it at the moment. That is what uh, I think that's one of the most concerning things is an yeah. increasing order book. I can I can build on that, and um, this is a long-term worry. I think it, you know the, the war it generally, uh, either Russia coming to Russia Ukraine coming to a conclusion or Taiwan China starting. Um, that's obviously a short-term issue and a long-term issue for that matter. But future fuels ba- debate being resolved, it'd be great for the world. It'd uh, be bad for shipping. I mean, if we find out what a future fuel is, if we land on something. Everybody's going to run to the shipyards and order a bunch of vessels. Got great balance sheets, negative net debt. What are you going to do? You know, like you said, you're going to your ship owners are ship owners. They're going to order ships, and if that gets resolved, then the supply side dynamics shift. In the short run, we're worried about demand destruction uh, for energy commodities in Europe, especially. And I agree with Turner. In the long run, once we have clarity around technology, we are worried about uh, running off and ordering. Um, I, you mentioned the capital discipline and shipping, but there is a sector that's seen immense capital discipline, I think, recently, and that's been the energy sector. Um, and I would say a lot of these energy shipping uh, uh, stories, they center on uh, volumes coming to the market. And uh, I'd say a big fear is if that does not happen for some reason. It uh, seems as though the reaction on the, res- on the supply side is taking longer than, than we would have thought. Um, and I guess that's, that applies to, to all energy shipping in general. I agree, basically, with all the uh, concerns. I would add also, just on the shipyards, that uh, we've seen a, a real level of restraint on new ordering. Um, however, part of that has been it's just expensive to order a ship, and we've seen steel prices collapse over the past uh, six months. And so at VLCC today, is what, $120 million to order? It was 85 going into 2021. So, uh, or sorry, yeah, 2021. So... Uh, it seems that prices are too high, but they are likely to come down pretty drastically. Um, and what does that do then uh, on the partnership owners? Remains to be seen. Okay. Tate? And, and last, on, more on the demand side, on, on I think the market to a degree, even though it's down meaningful, market-wide, just the China, China GDP bouncing back meaningfully. I, I, I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned how quickly it will take place and then the implications for shipping. 
Okay, great. I think we'll leave it at that. Yeah? Nicholas, thank you very much, guys. Well done. Good job.